welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to workforce and talent experts from around the world, covering market trends, technology, and our ever-evolving dynamic industry. Hi, I'm Bruce Morton, the host of Allegis Global Solutions' Subject to Talent podcast. Today, I've asked Caitlin Kanar, a senior analyst, on the AGS Market Analytics team, who specializes in talent intelligence and labor market economics to join me. We're going to have a discussion on the workforce trends to track in 2022. So, Kayleen, welcome and uh, first, Happy New Year. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Happy New Year to you, too. Great. Well, we always ask our guests the same first question, and that is, how did you get into the workforce industry? And if you can add to that as well, just to tell us about the market analytics function at AGS, and how your team works with clients and program stakeholders, that'd be great. Well, I stumbled into the workforce industry kind of by accident. Uh, Right out of college, I was, well, I was an economics major, and right out of college, I started working for a financial services company and quickly realized that that was not the path that I wanted to take. And I had some connections with um, some people that had worked for Allegis Global Solutions, and I was connected to the market analytics director. And um, they they said I was the quickest hire that they had had, and um, I'm very happy on the team. I think it's a really, uh, it's a really exciting team to be a part of. And we have a really unique function at AGS. We're a part of um, the global business services team. And our primary purpose is to help our clients make data-driven decisions around their acquisition of talent. Uh, This can come in a few different forms. One aspect of of our team's function is to advise our clients on their max bill rates and really what they should expect to be paying for their contingent workers. And then the second part of um, of what our team supports with really is advising on emerging workforce trends and using market intelligence to help um, to help form strategic decisions in their acquisition of labor. Great! Wow! Uh, excellent. So, um, as just before we kick off our conversation about the trends we should be looking for in twenty twenty two, let's uh, let's just look back for a second. If you can give us a summary of the state of the labor market that that we had as we closed out twenty twenty one. Yeah, so we will just do a little bit of a walk through history. So prior to uh, prior to the COVID pandemic, if we look at the data from 2019 and early 2020, we were in historically tight conditions. There was an all out war for talent. Um, unemployment was at historic lows, and jobs were just being added at a pace that was not. Uh, that the labor force was not able to keep up with. So competition was very, very intense. And then, of course, COVID hit um, in early 2020, and the U.S. lost 22 million jobs. In the 20 months following, we've recovered 83% of jobs, and the unemployment rate has returned back to back to the very low single digits. Uh, in the early, early months of COVID, in April and May, the unemployment rate had skyrocketed up to almost 15%. Um, it currently sits at 4.2%, which is still very, very low. Uh, again, pre-pandemic, the unemployment rate was around 3.5%. So we've had a very strong recovery following COVID. We've seen a lot of industries continue to grow throughout uh, throughout the months following those initial losses. A lot of industries have fully recovered their losses that that they suffered uh, that were attributed to COVID nineteen, and there are more jobs left to fill. So currently, um, currently the the difficulty is the labor force because we've lost workers in the labor force, and there was kind of a mass exodus of workers. COVID 
really ignited the the trend of retirement. So we're seeing baby boomers are retiring in mass quantities. So the labor force is getting smaller as jobs continue to be added to the market. And that's really what is driving driving the decline in the unemployment rate. And really a lot of our programs and and I think, you know, a lot of us have seen on the news, even ourselves, um, widespread labor shortages. It just is really, really challenging to find workers to fill any job um, in the current state. Wow. And these baby boomers retiring, being a baby boomer myself, I, uh, that's way out on the horizon, but with uh, multiple children in college, that's probably causing that. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you mentioned there that the participation rate dropping, um, mm-hmm. is that, and obviously retirement is one of those factors. Are there other factors that stick out in terms of why some of these people have yet to come back or are they going to come back into the workforce at some point? That's a great question. So we've seen the what we refer to as the labor force participation rate. And what that tells us is, um, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it tells us the rate of you know the workers that are available to work in the labor force, how many of them are actively participating. That is currently... Um, the lowest that it's been in almost 50 years. Workers know that, you know, kind of the ball is in their court. They feel empowered knowing that there are are just, you know, a surplus of available jobs out there um, and that they've kind of won the, in the war on talent. So I think there are a lot of a lot of workers that are, you know, choosing not to come back of their own volition. They're they're waiting for um, the right job or the right opportunity, or if they're close to that retirement age, they're choosing to to leave the labor force early and retire early if they can. Yeah, I guess anybody listening, if you just walk down your, your local high street and you see all the help wanted signs, mm-hmm. um, who'd have predicted that a couple of years ago? Hey, crazy. By the sounds of it, the data um, is pointing to the fact that those sourcing challenges you talked about in 2021, they're not going anywhere soon. Um, so with that in mind, let's let's get into the next 12 months. And what are some of those key workforce trends that those anybody from hiring managers all the way up to the C-suite execs need to be really taking um, notice of and be aware of as they plan the most efficient and effective way to get work done in the, in the next 12 months? Mm-hmm, exactly. So the sourcing challenges that that we felt throughout 2021 uh, and even prior to the pandemic, those are expected to continue into 2022. And we're going to see that continue to impact uh, workforce trends. I think we have all heard the term the great resignation. I think that's something that um, is getting a lot of attention these days. And if anything, I think sourcing and competition is only going to continue to become more competitive because we're seeing historic numbers of job openings, historic numbers of um, of quit rates. People are really enticed to different offers that, um, that have maybe better benefits or that offer more flexibility. Compensation is not the only factor that is, is at the top of mind these days. Um, the younger workforce is taking up more of the labor force and the priorities are different and flexibility is a big one um, is a big one for the younger generation. So I think that's really going to impact um, impact the trends that we see next year. COVID really accelerated the trend of remote work. I think a lot of companies were kind of backed into a corner and they had to adopt um, they had to adopt that strategy just because of the nature of COVID. Um, and I think that's something that is definitely going to continue um, 
to be a strategy that's used throughout 2022 just to attract workers to fill current positions, but also retain the workers that they currently have. Yeah, and you touched on it there slightly. The, the, the concept of remote working, obviously, um, many, many people have opinions on that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to uh, read any news feed without some mention of that. So from the data, purely looking at the data perspective, is, is remote working here to stay? I think it's safe to say that remote working is here to stay, at least in, in some capacity. Even prior to COVID, um, we had remote work, right? And I think we've seen a lot of, a lot of companies have you know, kind of been shown by their workforce that we can work remote. Our production and our our productivity and our performance doesn't have to suffer as a result of that. Um, we have seen in particularly the highly technical industry, so finance and professional and technical services, um, which is an industry that includes temp labor and IT workers. Those industries have continue to adopt the remote work strategy. So when we look at remote work across all industries, there's about um, a 14% average across all workers that work remote. But when we look at professional and technical services and finance, those industries that really employ that highly, highly skilled talent, they're more than double the the national average. So I think that's, that's certainly going to... Um, to be a trend that that is here to stay in those highly technical industries, even in some some lower end skill sets, so call center or um, those lower end professional skill sets, that's definitely a strategy now that employers are embracing more because it's even harder to find that lower end talent. So as organizations are thinking about that and other alternative ways of getting work done, you mentioned uh, at the outset that one of the work you do is advising on um, bill rates for um, non-employees, the extended workforce. Are organizations genuinely embracing that as an opportunity or a necessity or an opportunity, the concept of work anywhere and sort of re- releasing the shackles of must be based in this location for those that are working at home? Are you seeing organizations um, taking advantage of that or, or realizing that that maybe part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. I think even prior to the pandemic and throughout the pandemic, a lot of our programs and employers just in general continue to experience sourcing difficulties. Um, I remember very early on in the pandemic presenting to a lot of our clients and prefacing the labor market, um, you know, what was going on in the labor market with just because there have been a significant number of jobs lost, that does not equate to an influx of available talent. The labor shortages that were pri- that were present prior to the pandemic are still present today, and they've gotten even worse. So I think as as employers continue to to kind of feel that pressure throughout the pandemic, and they experience success in in sourcing outside of you know wherever they may have a footprint, um, they're able to tap into different markets where there's a more a more favorable um, candidate pool of workers that may have the skill set that they're looking for, or maybe competition isn't as intense in certain locations, um, or maybe it's a little bit of a cheaper market to source talent in. Those are all things that um, that companies and and programs really embrace during COVID and are continuing to implement post COVID as as a new sourcing strategy. Right. And, and as we think about the workers themselves, obviously organizations can have a strategy of how they want to get work done and the 
the types of people they want to attract and how they want to attract them and retain them. But from the through the workers' lens, there's obviously been a massive growth in the contingent labor um, category, and therefore more people working as non you know, as non employees or non traditional employees. And those folks tend to, you know, from the research that I've seen, tend to one of the things they put top of the list is it gives them the flexibility to work on more projects as opposed to the same old, same old every day. <laughs> so are you seeing any evidence of that from organizations projectizing the work to to continue to motivate or increase the motivation of particularly the younger generation? Yeah, that's a good question, Bruce. I think we are certainly seeing that strategy um, pop up a little bit more frequently. There are a few different things that employers are using to kind of keep their workforce engaged, so to speak. Um, that can be boot camps or training programs or investing in um, upskilling or reskilling. Those are all things that are becoming more and more popular because employees, whether they're, you know, temporary or permanent, they want to feel invested in and they want to feel that, you know, their work is engaging and employers are starting to hear that. And the way that they're responding to that is um, whether it be through different types of technology or different learning programs. Um, we have a bunch of platforms here at AGS that, you know, continue to help us grow and, and learn and achieve different goals. So I think that's definitely, um, definitely going to be a focus for employers throughout the next year as they focus not only on attracting new talent, but retaining their permanent workers and their temporary workers. Right. And as you look at the, the, the hard data here, in, um, like going back to the help wanted signs, mm -hmm. you're seeing these crazy sign-on bonus um, numbers that are thrown about. So you've got to be thinking that the hourly rate's going up as well. Is, that, is the data backing up that theory? Yes, it is. We are seeing a lot of pressure on wages over the last um, couple of quarters. And the way that we look at that is through the employment cost index, which measures compensation cost. So a typical quarterly increase is about half of a percent. And through the last three quarters, we've seen that, that employment cost index um, change quarter over quarter three times, two times the typical quarterly average of half of a percent. So it's it's present now more than ever, I would say, are the wage pressures um, because there's a lot of pressure on employers to fill their roles quickly. Right. So in your role, then, like, the typical cycle of how often an organization needs to be looking at their bill rates and um, benchmarking state by state of what they're paying or zip code by zip code, that's Mm -hmm. The need is obviously more frequent now. Yeah, it's very um, it's very necessary. We, of course, recommend reviewing rates on an annual basis, um, but a lot of a lot of it's not you know always realistic to to keep your rate card up to date annually and approve um, increases across the board every twelve months. Um, so I think in twenty twenty two, that's certainly. Um, should be a priority if it isn't, um, because that's going to to really give employers a little bit more of a of a competitive edge if they're out there advertising a competitive wage. Right, and I guess that's it, it's not one size fits all as well, right? I guess mm -hmm. it's different by skill set, um, by location. Yep, of course. Yeah, I know your team looks at metrics across the whole talent lifecycle, from sourcing and attracting, and then and hiring, of course, but. 
also the onboarding retention and, and management. So what is the data telling us is happening post-hire now? So post-hire, we're seeing a few different things happen. Uh, first, we're seeing time to fill increase across the board because everyone is experiencing those widespread labor shortages. So it's getting harder and harder to source workers um, to begin with. On top of that, we have a historical number of job openings. Um, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's the entity that collects um, the employment data here in the U.S., there were 67 unemployed workers for every 100 jobs openings in October. So with such a such a gap and such a labor deficit, um, that is becoming increasingly challenging to to kind of combat. And we're seeing that in in post hiring too. So we've seen an increase in negative attrition because workers um, are are easily enticed to other opportunities if there's, you know, a couple dollars more that are being offered or if there's more flexibility or if it allows them to work from home. Um, it's really, I mean, there's, I, I know I keep saying it, but the ball really is in the employee's court um, because they have kind of the ability to pick and choose what's going to fit what they're looking for. Um so we're monitoring that post hire, but I think it's really important to just really keep a pulse on um, on evaluating the quality of the candidates and and if it's possible to maybe invest in reskilling or upskilling entry level talent um, for some of those higher end roles. Well, it's a really interesting stat. So um, so even if everybody came back to work, we were talking about that earlier, the, you know, the drop-off of mm -hmm. the working population. But if everybody came back, we still wouldn't fill all the jobs that are open right now. No, if everyone um, here in the U.S., so if every single person that lost their job due to COVID-19, if they were to come back to work today, we would still have a deficit of over 7 million people to fill all of the jobs that are open. Wow. So organizations truly do need to be thinking about different ways of getting work done. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So, so I know we focus a lot on North America because obviously that's your um, personal area of focus for AGS. Um, but if I could just put you on the spot and we could just <laughs> go around the world for a few minutes, um, how does this data shift slightly um, region to region? So in EMEA, um, we're seeing pretty similar trends that, as here in the U.S. Um, they also have record a record high number of job openings. Um, when we look at the unemployment rate in the U.K., it's only 0.3 percentage points higher than pre-pandemic. So they're also combating um, significant labor shortages there as well. Um, when we look at things on an industry level, we see a similar story that we see here in the U.S., finance, IT, professional technical services, that high-end, highly technical, highly skilled um, talent, those the industries that primarily source that talent did not suffer significant impacts from the pandemic, and they've actually continued to grow even throughout the pandemic. So sourcing that talent um, over in EMEA is going to continue to be challenging. I expect that that will probably become even more intense throughout the next year. Um, a little bit of a different story in APAC. That's that's a slightly different um the effects in that region have been different just because there were a lot of a lot of the countries there had closed their borders throughout COVID. Um, but the interest there, of course, is in India because outsourcing workers in India has really skyrocketed throughout COVID and, and even post-COVID. Um, employers, that's a strategy that that they are using now. Um, 
to offer or to entice workers that are looking for that flexibility, or maybe there's, you know, a cost savings advantage there. Um, so that has, you know, kind of trickled into the competition that's resulted today because it was used that that labor was tapped into during COVID. Now the conditions are are even more competitive there to begin with. So we've seen a lot of rate inflation um, globally, just as we've seen here in the U.S. And I think um, I think the recovery really will depend a lot on how employers engage their workers now and how they tap into different strategies to attract other workers. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. And um, understatement, intense labor shortages. <laughs> um, uh, alongside that, we've got this ever-changing market. Every organization, even their customer base, is changing um, uh, literally daily. So you could say that data, as a data geek, I'll call you for a second, <laughs> you could say that data is certainly finally getting its moment in the sun. I'm a massive data fan, so I'm, I'm in the same camp. Um, so organizations can, I, mean, I didn't, there's any excuse for them making workforce decision now based on gut feelings. Um, I think we're there. That ship has sailed. It's now all about data. But before we wrap here, can you just share from your perspective the why behind the data? Why do you think it's imperative for companies now to look at data and not just use that phrase data-based decisions or data-informed decisions, but really have data at the center of their strategy? Mm -hmm. Well, Bruce, I love this question <laughs> um, because I am a data geek, as you said. And I think, you know, in our world, Data really is synonymous with visibility. You can always rely on your data. You can always come back to your data. It's something that's concrete. Um, it's factual. When we look at the data, just labor market data, that's factual data that that we use in a different way to to have more of a consultative approach and and form strategic decisions. And we see a lot of our clients benefit from that. So I think data is something that should be embraced by organizations. It can really only benefit the decisions that you make. And, and it really allows you to have that insight into your own workforce and, and you know, what's going on with your own employees. And I think knowledge is power, right? We always want to, to have as much knowledge as we can. And um, there's a surplus of data, data available out there. So um, I encourage everyone to kind of be a sponge when it comes to data and soak up as much as you can because it's it can be powerful when it's um, when it's used the right way. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. This has been fascinating, um, and I truly, truly appreciate um, all the work you do. And excited to see the trends through at twenty twenty two. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Bruce. To learn more about AGS, please check us out at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. You can also send questions for me or our guests. Just tweet us here at Allegis Global with the hashtag SubjectToTalent or email us at SubjectToTalent at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Until next time, cheers.